There's a seat right there for you, Dave. The front row is always the softest switches, so. All right, we're gonna jump right in tonight. Welcome to the bridge on Wednesday night. We're talking about the new normal. Tonight we're gonna be talking about gender and sexuality, what God has to say about uh, those two topics. Uh, last week, if you were here, you heard about lordship and how uh, what we talk about here on these Wednesday nights and in the church really is contingent upon your understanding of the fact that Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life. Because if Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, this doesn't really apply to you. Right? I mean, it applies to you whether you like it or not. I mean, God's in control, right? He's sovereign overall. But unless you've submitted your life to Christ and he's your Lord, then much of this may not make sense to you. And you may wonder why we need to be saying some of the things we're going to be saying tonight. So, if that is something you want to know more about, we have a podcast from last week available on the website. You go under uh, online and, and podcasts on the website there, and you can listen to uh, what primarily Pastor Andy talked about last week. Or you can uh, talk to me afterwards. Uh, I've got six points I'm going to cover tonight, so we are going to just move right along. Uh, I've only got you here for an hour, and uh, I want to um, deliver this information in an effective way, I don't want to, but I don't want you to feel like you're trying to take a sip of water out of a fire hose either. But we do need to move right through it. I just want to say, uh, I'm, I'm the, uh, Scott Jennings, I'm the pastor of Marriage and Family Life here at the Bridge. And I have been here uh, since, uh, I think I started coming in 2007. But I've really only been a Christian in September. September 25th will be 10 years that I've been a Christian. And so I didn't grow up in the church like many of you maybe did. Uh, but even in the relatively short amount of time that is the last 10 years, the last decade, we've seen an enormous shift in what our society as a whole believes in the areas of sexual identity. Do you agree? Okay. So I had no idea when I became a Christian that marriage and gender roles would be at the center of public debate in our day. In fact, if I had told many of you 10 years ago, five years ago even, that today our culture would be debating whether to change the definition of marriage to include same-sex couples, many of you probably wouldn't have believed me. If I had told you today that uh, public schools would be adopting curriculum to teach children that gender is not as simple as saying boy and girl, but that children would be taught that gender is a social construct that is fluid and might change over the, over the course of your life, many of you would not have believed me. But this is where we are. So does it feel to you like the ground is shifting under our feet a little bit? Well, let me just tell you, it feels that way because we live in a world that is built not on any kind of firm foundation, but on the sand of human reason and human passions that are increasingly untethered from the firm foundation of God and his word. So in the brief time we have together, I want to see if we can get re-anchored on the foundation of Scripture as we discuss sexuality and transgender. So I have no idea, let me just say at the beginning, I have no idea if there's anything that we can do to change the course or the direction in which our culture is headed related to gender and sexuality. I don't know. I can't see the future, right? But I know that as citizens in a democracy, as we are blessed to live in one, 
We can speak out, we can vote, we can seek to influence our culture, and I think we should. And I think we should. So as moms and dads, brothers, sisters, influencers, right? Last week, if you were here, you heard me talk a little bit about your sphere of influence, right? That's the people within your sphere of influence, the people that live maybe in the same house or work with you, right? We have the responsibility to pass on the truth of God's word and God's design about gender and sexuality to our children and to our children's children. It's on my heart to speak to you about how we ought to live and how we ought to think when it comes to these issues in our day. And if you uh, aren't aware, uh, they're actually having some of these same conversations in the riot on Wednesday nights as well. So again, as we said last week, part of our motivation in discussing these things with you is to prepare you to have these conversations, which can be difficult and awkward, with your children. Because honestly, your some of you, you, you may think about what your children know, and you may feel like they know more about this kind of thing than you do. And, and that wouldn't be surprising, because they're exposed to this, this kind of teaching daily in the culture, in schools, and that, but I'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. So things we used to be able to take for granted, we just can't take for granted anymore. So tonight I have, I have six main points I want to cover, as I, as I said. Here's the first one. Here's your first filling. God, I know all you OCD people are like, yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> Love those fillings. God did not stutter. That's your first one. God did not stutter. What he has to say about gender and sexuality is very clear. Here's what God says about gender. There are two. And there are only two. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Two. Throughout Genesis 1, God is creating in pairs. See this over and over again. Darkness and light, sun and moon, seas and dry land, birds and the fish, right? And in each case, the text is emphasizing difference, the difference between the two, not sameness, difference. That's the case in Genesis 1. There's a pair. There's not three genders. There's not four. There's not seven. There aren't 56, like Facebook tells you there are. If you don't believe me, it's true. Facebook says there are 56 different genders to choose from. 56. There's two. Listening to a radio interview recently with one of the writers of a TV series being produced by Amazon called Transparent about what happens in a family when dad declares himself to be transgender and says that he's a woman. That's what happened in real life to the writer and director of the series, Jill Solomon. In this radio interview, Jill was asked about her own sexuality, and the interviewer said, would it be fair to say that your gender is fluid? She said, I call myself queer, and I'm comfortable with that. I don't think things have to be so binary. In fact, she said, she's trying to help people see things that things don't have to be so binary. As Christians, though, and when you, I say as Christians, I mean Jesus is the Lord of our life, right? We believe gender is binary because in Genesis 1, God makes gender binary. There's two, male and female. 
We believe that that's true. Why? Because God says it. Okay? We even believe, as Pastor Carroll says, on the front of the Bible where it says genuine love. Right? We believe that too. A whole lot. Okay? Here's what God says on the subject of sexuality. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And Ephesians 5, chapter 3, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And a whole lot, I could spend the rest of our time together sharing other verses with you. God has given us the gift of human sexuality for our good and for his glory. Did you know that? God never does anything that doesn't bring himself glory. Did you know that? Never. It's a wonderful gift when we use it according to his design, sexuality that is, in the context of marriage. Any kind of activity or action that arouses or awakens sexual desire with anyone other than the man or woman to whom you're married, God calls that sexual immorality. I know how crazy that sounds in our culture. You guys, uh, if we could get a guy or two to, there's more chairs through that door right there. We've got to get them bring them out right now, folks, if you're looking for a chair. Thank you. I know how crazy that sounds in our culture today, but it's the clear teaching of God's Word. We need to make sure we're not simply targeting one kind of sexual sin when we talk about this issue, though. But we have a tendency to do that. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at porn, but at least I'm not doing that. What that guy's doing, or what that gal's doing. Right? We have a tendency to, to scale our sins. Well, at least I'm not that guy. I'm not doing that. Okay? We need to make sure we're not targeting one kind of sexual sin. There's no sexual sin that is worse than another. They're all sin. And there really there's no sin that's worse than another. But the, Paul says that the, the consequences of sexual sin are more dire. Does that make sense? Okay. Can you, have you seen that in your own life? I know I have. <clears throat> Fornication is sexually immoral. Fornication is any kind of sexually arousing activity before marriage, period. Adultery is sexually immoral. That's any kind of sexually arousing activity after you're married with someone other than your husband or wife. It's not that difficult, right? It's, not, it's pretty clear. Looking on a man or woman with lust in your heart is sexually immoral. What is moral is for two to become one as they leave father and mother and cleave to one another in marriage. Anything other than that is sexually immoral. In summary, here's what the Bible clearly teaches about gender and sexuality. There are only two genders created by God, male and female. And any sexual behavior outside the bounds of marriage is an act of rebellion against God and his created order. You understand now, the, these are not some kind of like rules or laws that are created to keep you from having a fun life, right, and enjoying life and enjoying 
the pleasure associated with sex in the context of marriage. It's not to keep you from these things. It's to protect you from the things that God has not designed for you. Anything outside of that box that he's designed, which is man, woman, in the context of marriage, is not good for you. And that's why God says these things, to protect you, because he loves you. Here's the second thing I think we need to say, and I think we need to say this as clearly and as firmly as point number one. Number two, how we speak about gender and sexuality is as critical as what we say about gender and sexuality. How we speak is as critical as what we say. As ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, and as ministers of the gospel, we must make sure we are full of both grace and truth as we address issues of gender and human sexuality in our day. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's grace towards us, in spite of our own sexual brokenness, should make us humble and compassionate toward others who are dealing with their own sexual brokenness. Anyone here without sexual sin? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But in John 8, 3, 11, because I already know the answer, by the way. In John 8, 3, 11, there was a woman caught in sexual sin, and she, she was brought before Jesus... And he asked that same question. Anyone here without sin? Do you remember what happened next? They were going to stone her, right? And Jesus confronts them and says, Any of you can say that you live without any kind of sin in your life? If so, cast the first stone. What do they do? They drop us. They drop us. When we speak out on this or other moral issues in our day, we as Christians are often accused of being harsh, unloving, judgmental, and self-righteous. You know why? Anyone? Because some of us have been harsh, unloving, judgmental, and self-righteous. That's why we're accused of that. Some of us have been those things. Here's what we have not said to others. Every human being, me included, all of us, have fallen short of the glory of God in the area of our sexuality. I am not your judge. I am not here to condemn you. But I am here to tell you that I have found freedom and hope and transformation and liberation for my broken soul in knowing and loving and serving Jesus Christ and treasuring him above all else, making him the Lord of my life, including in the area of my sexuality. There's a pastor, his name is Tim Keller, he's pastor of Redeemer church in New York City. And they're a church much like the bridge. They kind of have the same attitude, you know, where you can belong before you believe. And what that means is we just, we want people to know that church is a place for a hospital for broken people, not a place, a club that's a club for perfect people, right? So this place is this church, Redeemer Church in New York City. Tim is reaching some people that nobody else is reaching. And I hope we can say the same as the bridge. That we're reaching people for Jesus that no one else is reaching. Anyway, he's teaching 
And at the end of his sermons, uh, he has a lot of folks who are new believers or maybe not even believers yet, they're seeking. So he finishes his message and he comes down to the end of the altar and he, every week he has this huge crowd of people around him. And this one particular week, he had a woman come up and uh, start telling him, asking, kind of speaking to him. And she said that she had been coming for several weeks now and that she was really enjoying the teaching and that she felt welcomed at his church, and she liked the music, and she liked the way that they had the lights and all those things, and she was really seriously thinking about becoming a member of Redeemer Church. And she said, Tim, I, Pastor Tim, I just have one question for you. Can I become a member of this church if I'm a lesbian? Because I am. And his question, his, he responded to that by saying, well, I'm glad you've been coming to the church, and I'm glad you love what you're hearing, and I'm glad you feel welcome, but I think you're asking the wrong question. The question you need to be asking is, is Jesus the Lord of my life? See, because as we talked about last week, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then Jesus touches every aspect of your life, including your sexuality. So I would say to you, as he said to this woman, I would say to you that you need to ruminate on that, think about that, think about whether or not Jesus is the Lord of your life, and then come talk to me next week. Well, I don't know how that story ended. Honestly, I don't know whether she went back or not, but I think that's a really great way to address that question. And I think that's what we need to be doing as well. I am here to tell you I have found freedom and hope and transformation and liberation for my broken soul in knowing and loving and serving Jesus and treasuring him above all else, including my sexuality. So if she loved everything that was being taught, right, if she agreed with and, and liked what she heard and all those kind of things, she needed to know or, or must have known that that church was a church that believes in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's his response. Here's a passage I read over and over again as I engage in pastoral ministry, and I think it applies to every one of us who is called to represent Jesus in our world today, and if you say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that's you. It's from Paul's last letter to his protege, Timothy, giving him guidance on how we shepherd. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. How we stand for the truth is just as critical as standing for Point number three. Point number three. If you think our culture has gone as far as it can go in this area, think again. If you think our culture has gone as far as it can go in this area, think again. I'm sorry to tell you now that the Supreme Court of our land has ruled and made same-sex marriage the law of the land. That will not be the end or the stopping point for sexual revolutionaries. It will not be the end or the stopping point. 
There's a scramble right now to figure out many of the implications of this new ruling. Baylor University has just revised its sexual misconduct policy for students, leaving out language that used to be in the policy that specifically addressed homosexual acts. Belmont and Hope College in Michigan have announced that they will provide benefits to same-sex spouses of employees. You need to understand that same-sex marriage was just a step. We saw recently that the normalization of gender reassignment, transgender, is already in full swing. Normalization, right? ABC gave two hours to the subject on a recent Friday night when they aired Diane Sawyer interviewing Bruce Jenner. USA Today affirmed Jenner's decision with an article with the headline, Advocates, Public, Applaud Jenner's Transgender Reveal. Anyone ever heard of a gen the genderbred person? Anybody? Okay, let's show that slide. This was used earlier this year with ninth grade students at a school in California, and it was brought to the school by the people at Planned Parenthood. I want you to look, just real quick, gender identity, there's a scope there from man, gender queer, or to woman, gender queer to man. How you express it might be feminine, androgynous, masculine. Your actual biological sex may be female, or what is referred to as intersex, or male. And your orientation may be heterosexual, bisexual, or homosexual. So you see, it's uh, there's 12 different possibilities there along a sliding scale, which basically means there's an infinite number of ways that you can refer to your gender. And parenthood provided that right there. Recently, the school district in Fairfax County, Virginia, announced they are planning to introduce gender identity to its classroom curriculum, including lessons on sexual fluidity and spectrum. The idea that there's no such thing as 100% boys or 100% girls. I heard a story recently from the parents of an eighth grade girl who told them that she was friends with only one other girl in her class because they're the only two in their class who don't call themselves gay. Now, understand, that was a situation where they didn't alienate themselves from the rest of the class. They were alienated. I want to show you a video clip real quick. It's about five minutes long from a recent special on parenting hosted by John Stossel. The clip just shows where some in our culture believe we need to go as we raise the next generation. Check this out. Michael Cole looks like a boy's boy, but his mom says... He loves to draw. He loves music. Michael's mom and their friends make a concerted effort to parent their kids in a gender-neutral way. Among my friends, I don't think anyone would ever say that they're not gender-neutral. We always offer dolls and along with the trucks and the balls. The dolls and things, you know, bring out nurturing. We ask their boys. Do any of the guys like dolls? I don't know. Stop it! Some families now give their kids gender-neutral names so the kids can make up their own minds. They baby think Storm, what they're calling gender-free. So there's gender-free, there's gender-neutral, there's transgender. More? Yes, we've got gender-fluid, gender-creative, gender-independent. Education professor Elizabeth Myers teaches teachers don't treat kids as boys or girls. She raises her own son that way. He asks us, 
am I a boy or a girl? And I ask him, well, do you feel more like a boy or more like a girl? And he says, I feel like a boy. It's like, okay, well, then we're going to call you a boy unless at any point you feel it's like something different. And how is this parenting working out? We were at the playground, and he said, Mama, this playground is for everybody. Boys can play, girls can play, transgender kids, and kids who don't feel like a boy or a girl can play. He sounds like he's living propaganda. Garbage that you've indoctrinated him with. I know some people would say that. Dr. Leonard Sachs says it. The great mistake that Dr. Meyer and others are making is the notion that in order to ensure equal opportunity, we have to put our heads in the stand and pretend that gender doesn't matter. She asks her son, do you feel more like a boy or a girl? She says, this is how gender should be established. The unintended message that the boys and girls are hearing is that, hey, the grown-ups are on another planet. They have no idea what actually matters to us. The result is gender-confused kids. Isn't this confusing for the kids? Absolutely not. They know who they are, and they're going to tell you who they are. Assuming, she says, that they don't get manipulated by our sexist society. Media messages, movies, kind of what our parents taught us. And so we internalize these norms, and we think that's just how it should be. But it's not something that is biological or predetermined. But it is biological. Most boys do like the more active, violent sports. There are average tendencies, but that doesn't mean most. Aren't most boys different from most girls? I would disagree. I once believed that, but then I had kids. My wife didn't allow my son to have toy guns. He made guns out of carrots. It's true, and my son likes to turn just about everything into a gun or a shooting mechanism, no matter how hard I try to discourage it. Don't discourage, says Dr. Seth. If the son jumps up from behind the couch and says, bang, bang, in, you're dead, and the mom reprimands him, and the mom says, well, I love you, but I wish you weren't so into the violent games. And the result is not a generation of boys who want to engage in scrapbooking. The result is boys who are looking to the internet and getting their ideas of masculinity from that. Which is probably not a good thing, given what's on the internet. To reduce the influence of sexist culture, Sweden now pushes toy ads that are gender neutral. Girls play with guns, and boys happily iron clothing. Boys want a vacuum and iron, and... If that's what speaks to them as fun and entertaining. Councilwoman Abby Land is proposing to make all single-stall restrooms gender neutral. The latest trend in Hollywood on college campuses is to get rid of the boy-girl label. But science shows most people are not gender neutral. What happens when you ask girls and boys to draw whatever they want? Girls draw people, pets, flowers, and trees. But the people have eyes, mouth, hair, and clothes. It doesn't matter where the girl is from. This test has been done in America, Africa, Thailand, Japan. The results are similar. Here's a Japanese girl's picture and an American girl's. But the great majority of boys are drawing something profoundly different. They're trying to draw a scene of action that sometimes just look like a bunch of squiggles because it's action. Maybe they draw differently because they've been exposed to sexist parents and sexist society that leads them to do this. That's exactly uh, what I learned when I was earning my PhD in psychology 30 years ago. And then researchers got the bright idea of giving the same choice to monkeys. <laughs> We've got three different studies now. Human chimpanzee your monkey. The males want to play with the truck. Why? Because it's got wheels. It goes, come on. Movement. Movement. Action. 
girl monkeys prefer to play with the colorful bush doll. So these differences are clearly hardwired, not socially constructed, because they're found in four primate species. Yet feminist professors still teach students gender differences are exaggerated. Some of this is just anti-science propaganda from you people in teachers' colleges. Gender differences are actually quite small. All social is not biological innate wishes. Some people feel that these approaches are extreme because they're very uncomfortable with them. It shakes their worldview. Yeah, it shakes mine because I think it's mostly wrong. <laughs> okay. Romans 1 describes the, deep, the devolution of a culture and where a rejection of God will take people. Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We have not seen the end of the line related to gender, marriage, and sexuality. You, know, you, you big argument you heard about when, when uh, same-sex marriage was all the rage on social media, right, was, well, this is a slippery slope, and this is going to lead to other, and, and I happen to agree with that. I don't see how it can't. If the argument is that if two people are in love, no matter their gender, they should be able to get married, well, what if two children say that they're in love? Or an adult and a child say that they're in love. Or an adult and a dog say they're in love. Why, why would it have to end with just two males or two females? It's a slippery slope. Here's point number four. If you adjust your thinking, evolve to affirm what the culture believes on gender and sexuality, the culture will reward you if you adjust your thinking to affirm what the culture believes on gender and sexuality, the culture will reward you. As far as I know, there's never been a pastor or a religious teacher or leader invited by Oprah to sit down with her on TV to talk about what the Bible teaches about marriage. I don't see that happening anytime soon, frankly. But a couple of months ago, Oprah was more than happy to have former megachurch pastor Rob Bell join her to explain why it's just a matter of time before we all embrace gay marriage. He said that churches don't, that don't support same-sex marriage will continue to be even more irrelevant. He says that Christianity is evolving and the church's acceptance of gay marriage is inevitable. Bell says, I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. Rob is just one voice, but he's not alone. And my point here is that when you adjust your understanding of scripture to bring it in line with what the culture is supporting, you'll get exposure in the media, you'll get access, and you won't, that you won't get as long as you hold the traditional view. Here's another example. Last fall, the Washington Post had a guest editorial written by David Gushy, who teaches Christian ethics at Mercer University in the great state of Georgia. The op-ed piece was titled, I'm an evangelical minister. I now support the LGBT community, and the church should too. 
I'm guessing if it, you or I wrote a piece that said, I'm an evangelical minister, I don't support the LGBT agenda, and neither should the church, that that article was probably not get published. Make the switch and you'll be on the right side of history. Don't make the switch and prepare to pay a price, which is my next point. If you hold to what the Bible teaches and what the church has believed and taught for centuries, you will be punished. If you hold to what the Bible teaches and what the church has believed and taught for centuries, you will be punished. The sexual worldview that is quickly becoming the majority view in our world is that you are sovereign over your sexuality. And anyone who even suggests that you are not must be silenced. The examples here are legion. Let me mention just a couple. Kleins, Melissa and Aaron, the now well-known cake bakers from Oregon who chose not to bake a cake for a lesbian wedding, face a fine from the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industry of $135,000 for their decision. And when some folks decided to help the Kleins out by starting a fundraising campaign on the crowdfunding website GoFundMe, Inviting people to pitch in to help them out, the GoFundMe people took down the website after receiving pressure from gay activists. You know about the threats made against Memories Pizza Shop in Indiana earlier this spring when they were asked if they would provide pizza for a gay wedding. I mean, really, come on. Pizza? And a gay wedding. Okay. I'm just saying, I have gay friends. They would not have pizza at their wedding. The reporter asked that question, though, and they said no. So what happened next? Death threats. And a coach at a nearby school went online and posted, who's going with me to burn down Memories Pizza? The spring in Boston, Michael Lindsay, he's the president of Gordon College, they shared about how he and the college he leads are under attack because they believe that homosexual practice is a sin and an offense before God. <clears throat> President Lindsay told an audience in Boston last week about a phone conversation he had with his congressman, who told him that he hated Gordon's stance and that he was going to do everything he could to force the college to change it. President Lindsay said, there are very few playbooks to tell you what to do when your congressman shouts at you. On the Saturday following the Bruce Jenner interview on ABC, Dr. Michael Brown tweeted, My heart goes out to Bruce Jenner, and when he says, I am a woman, I hear him saying, I am deeply confused and hurting. Let's pray for him. The response to that tweet, there's a few, the ones that don't have an F-bomb in them. The responses, Brown said, were as ugly and profane as anything I have ever seen. I don't have the patience for this nonsense anymore. You are the epitome of everything that's wrong here. You are a horrible human being. You are disgusting. And all I hear is a bigoted old man who is scared to even think that a person may be different than him. 
You're literally so ignorant. Why is your mentality stuck in the 60s? Move forward with time to now. This kind of stuff happens. Make no mistake, the day has come when standing for biblical truth on this issue is going to cost you something. <clears throat> it may cost you socially. You may become marginalized and seen as a hateful bigot. Anyone been called a bigot? It may eventually cost our church its tax-exempt status. So what do we do then? I hope you, along with the church, the bridge, will stand firm, full of grace, full of kindness, full of compassion, full of love, but unwavering. I hope we will not be moved. So what about civil disobedience, right? You're supposed to submit to the authority over which you've been placed, rent under Caesar's, that which is Caesar's. Read Romans 13. We must obey, make a note of that, I don't, I'm not going to read it to you now, but read Romans 13. We must obey the governing authorities, but listen to me now. We must obey the governing authorities unless they require what God forbids or forbid what God requires. We must obey the governing authorities unless they require what God forbids or forbid what God requires. There are several examples of godly civil disobedience in Scripture. And if you want to, send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc and I'll send you a link. Matthew 5, 11 through 12 says... Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Keep in mind as we go through this in our culture, we have brothers and sisters who are facing today imprisonment, torture, and death because they will not deny the name of Christ. Whatever standing firm costs you, it's a light and momentary affliction. We need perspective. And, and actually, on the other side of this debate, anyone know what happens if you're found out as a homosexual in a Muslim country? get thrown off the top of a building, or hung, or beheaded. Whatever standing firm costs you, it is a light and momentary affliction that is producing in you an eternal weight of glory. You may be punished in this culture for what you believe, but I believe you will be rewarded when you stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done. That's my last point. It's an exhortation. Do not flinch. Do not waver. Be courageous. Dennis Rainey is the president and CEO of Family Life. He's uh, also the co-founder. Family Life is a ministry that's a parachurch organization 
was founded in 1976, and they're probably most well-known for the radio program Family Life Today, but also the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway. Has anybody ever been to a Weekend to Remember? A few people, okay. How about the Art of Marriage? Anybody been through the Art of Marriage? Lots, a few more people, okay. That's Family Life. So Dennis is fond of, and uh, he's caught me off guard with this question, He's fond of when he's having a meal or meeting with someone, even a cup of coffee or maybe an interview on the radio, asking a question, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Now understand, courageous or courage is doing your duty in the face of fear, okay? So what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? I would encourage you to consider that. I would encourage you to consider that question and ponder on the most courageous thing you've ever done. Because the most courageous thing you've ever done may be on the horizon. It may be coming. Courage is doing your duty in the face of fear. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Pastor Farrell and, and Jim Wall last week, Pastor Jim Wall gave a message uh, last week. They're, they're going through a series called Gear Up. That's why we've got all these uh, little clouds in front of me here. Bam, <coughs> that looks like a, the old school Batman episode for you old people in the room. But he's talking about Ephesians chapter 6. And he's talk, talking about putting on the full armor of God. and We need to be prepared for the battles that are being faced now and that are to come in the future, right? And it's not just a matter of being able to put the armor on. Because I can put on the uniform of a soldier. I can see it there in a pile and understand that the helmet goes on your head and the flak jacket goes over your shoulders, right? And your legs go in one leg at a time and the boots go on your feet. Does that make me a soldier? doesn't. You need to go through training in order to wear that armor well and to wield the sword of the Spirit. So I encourage you, if you haven't been coming to that series or you've missed any of them, go online, get caught up, and, and come. This is week number three starting Thursday night in Goldsboro at 7 o'clock. Come out for that. That is partially how you're able to not flinch, not waver, and be courageous, being prepared for the battle. I want to leave you with some encouragement and some hope. In June, Family Life Today, as I mentioned before, um, Family Life Today is the radio program. Dennis Radio, Bob Lapine, and they uh, are on daily. I think they're on 92.3 here in town. Anyway, they aired a three-part interview with Sean McDowell and John Stone Street on the subject of same-sex marriage. They're online at Family Life Today if you want to go listen to them. They got some very positive, very encouraging emails from listeners. The email I want to share may have been the most encouraging one. The person who wrote said this, I'm a 42-year-old woman who's had a sex change. I grew up in a Christian home, and I came out as gay, then, through study and research, realized that I'm transsexual. I got kicked out of my house and basically left to live my life alone. Now I'm living as a woman, and I don't go to church or associate myself with Christians. 
I've really not liked the way so-called Christians have treated me with their words and behavior. However, listening to Mr. McDowell and Mr. Stone Street, they both exhibited the love of the Lord. I found myself thinking, where were they when I had to deal with the rejection, hurt, and violence when I got kicked out of my home? I wish they were around when I was going through my hurt and pain and rejection. I want to thank you for having them on your show. Gays and such topics weren't talked about in the church when I was growing up. If they were mentioned, it was only in hate and contempt. I don't think I'm the only Christian transsexual living with hurt and pain. I don't know all the details, and I don't know the backstory of that message. I don't know what that person's experience has been. But I do know that when she listened to that radio program last week, she heard the truth. But not just the truth. She heard grace, and she heard love, and she heard compassion. If you can't, you may want to write this down if you're a note taker. If you cannot speak the truth in love, you may not want to speak at all. you cannot speak the truth in love, you may not want to speak at all. Because I'll tell you what, we've done a lot of shooting ourselves in the foot as Christians. I talked to you a little while ago about being harsh and judgmental and self-righteous. And that's how we're perceived. And the reason is what? We've been that way. I've been that way. We all have. And I think if we think more about being loving, First, not wavering, not bending, not altering the truth, as Rob Bell did, does, right? Or some of the other folks that you see on Facebook or whatever form of media. Not, not bending or wavering, but loving, loving. You think about the woman at the well, the Sumerian woman, she was at that well during that specific time of the day because no one else was going to be at the well at that time. She's humiliated. She's ostracized. And so she goes to the well and who does she meet there? Who knows? Jesus. So when she first starts talking to Jesus, what does that conversation look like? Is Jesus full of truth? At first, in the way that he's engaging with her, is he talking to her about the number of husbands she's had and the fact that she's living with a man that's not her husband? Is that how he opens the conversation? Do you remember? No, that's not how he opens the conversation. He opens the conversation by speaking to her in a loving way and addressing her and building relational equity with her. Relational equity, right? So that when I do speak truth, I'm not pushed pushed away. I'm not. There's no defensiveness there, right? That's our model. That's our model. Speaking the truth in love requires that we first be loving. We first be loving. And man, I'll tell you, I, I, I've. I have made a pact with myself, and, and Sherry's trying to hold me to it, but uh, sometimes she's successful, sometimes she's not. 
but I, you know, I'm connected, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all these things because I like to see what's going on and I like to be connected with people. And there's all kinds of different articles available out there and all kinds of information. And some of it, a good large portion of it actually, is, is good stuff. It's good information if you are careful about what you subscribe to. But for the most part, what comes across my newsfeed is pretty positive stuff and it's good. Where I've fallen into trouble, where I've gotten in trouble, is by going through the comments sections. Right? I remember I saw a cartoon one time, a little comic strip, and there's a woman from the other room. She's, she says, uh, you know, honey, are you coming to bed? And the guy's in front of his computer, you know, and you can tell it's late at night. He's typing on the computer, and he says, in a minute, someone's wrong on the internet. I'm telling you, that was me, right? So now, honestly, what I do is I don't even go there. I try not to even go into the way into the comments sections of these things because you just get caught up in this deal of like someone's wrong on the internet and why won't they just understand that they're wrong? You know, I mean, how many of you, and I've, I've fallen into this plenty of time, but how many of you have gone through that sort of, you know, comment section debate, and then on the other side of it, have the person tell you, you know what? You're right. Anyone? Ever? I'm thinking the history of the internet that's happened. So, I mean, whatever you have to do, that's kind of what it takes for me. I mean, but whatever, whatever you have to do to get to that place where you are more focused about as I said, building that relational equity so that then you can speak the truth into someone's life because they know that you love them. Okay? We're, we, are not, we are not a church that is ever going to waver on what the Word of God has to say about these issues. But we can't, we're not going to gain anyone. We're not going to win any souls for Christ by holding up picket signs. Like that church I won't even bother naming because it's not really a church. You know, some of us, maybe, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, that's not us. Well, is that true? Is that how you are in your heart? And they're just, they just actually physically do that, but you're doing that in your heart? Am I doing it? I mean, I'm asking myself these same questions. Please don't think that I have this all figured out. I don't. But we, these are the things that we need to wrestle with. If we want to gain souls, win souls for Christ, loving people to Jesus, speaking the truth, being unwavering, but loving them is the way that you're going to get there. I'll close with Paul's charge to us from 1 Corinthians 16. 13 through 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Act like men. Be strong. What is it? What's the last part of that? Let all you do be done in love. So we can stand firm in the faith. We can be on alert. 
We can be courageous. We can act like men, right? Be the protector, be the provider, all those things. Wear that armor of God, right? We can be strong. Let all you do be done in love. All of that stuff before that part, being courageous, being strong, standing firm, is irrelevant if you do it without love. We pray. Father God, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time together as a church. God, thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that we live in a country where I can stand up here on the stage and speak your word, and I don't have to worry about somebody with, with uh, jackboots coming through the door, kicking the door down, and arresting me. I know that there are people in this world that have that fear, that have been arrested for speaking your word and speaking the truth, for even congregating to speak about your word. So God, I am thankful that we get to do this, that we get to stand here and talk. We can have these conversations and we can talk about your word, God, in a, in a loving, truthful way. But God, I just, I have to, wonder if there's someone here tonight who is feeling like they are just blown away by everything that I just said and it all sounds crazy and foreign to them. And God, if that person doesn't have Jesus as the Lord of their life, it only makes sense that it's going to sound crazy to them. But God, if that person is feeling your tug, is feeling drawn to you, God, is here for a specific purpose. Maybe they thought they were coming here for one purpose and they're really just kind of figuring out right now what the other purpose is. God, I would just pray that that person would be bold and would come up and speak to one of us uh, after the service so we can discuss what it means to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. God, I thank you for the people here tonight. I thank you for their willingness to hear me speak. God, I, I thank you for what's going on in their hearts, and I pray, God, that they would take what they're learning here at the church and in their own study of your word and be influencers within their sphere of influence, that they would reach out to those neighbors, maybe a new neighbor moved in, and you've been, they've been meaning to go across the street. God, I'm talking about me now. They've been meaning to go across the street and welcome that person to the neighborhood, God, and I just never seem to have time and that's not acceptable. I need to go learn their names. I need to meet that family. I need to reach out to them and show them the love of Christ. Because eternity is at stake at the end of the day. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.